We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it's a Sports Fix Thursday. Tom from his fortress of solitude in Frederick, Maryland. I from our studios here in lovely Bethesda. Our very, very comfortable uh, studios, Tommy. It's it's very warm in here today. I They cranked the heat because of the very cold night and cold morning, and I've essentially had to strip down to next to nothing. I have a... That's not an image we're interested in. Uh, and it shouldn't be. Um, but I dressed warmly when I left the house early this morning at 4.37 a.m. It was 27 degrees, by the way, on my car um, thermometer, uh, temperature reader. Uh, it was it was the coldest morning of, of the early, um, well, it's not winter yet, of the of the late fall, mid to late fall. What, December 21st is the first day of winter. December 21st yeah. is first but day But December winter. 7th is actually, or 6th is the first day of what they call meteorological winter. Anyway, huh. um, I, uh, <laughs> it is so hot in here, I can barely breathe. The heat's cranked, and they have this. You you remember the therm, um, the uh, the thermostat that's on the wall in here? It's a dummy thermostat. Yeah, it, it does is. it does nothing. It's there for show. Like I and I remember, you know, the first month we were in these studios, I was fooling around with it to get it to the right temperature. I'm like, nothing's happening here. You know, like if you flip it to a certain temperature, <laughs> then you'll hear something go on or turn off, whether it's heat or air conditioning. I'm like, nothing's going on. And I walked into the guy that, that runs it and I said, What's the deal with this thing? He goes, Yeah, that's not really a thermostat. <laughs> I'm like, You know well, what why? it is? It, it's a placebo. It must be a placebo. It's a placebo. Oh, you know what? That reminds me of a conversation I had with my CDC neighbor the other night about the vaccines. Many of you have said, can we get an update from your CDC neighbor? And I don't think I've given one in quite some time. For those that are hearing this for the first time, my next door neighbors, both husband and wife, both work for the CDC here in Washington. They lived in Atlanta forever, which is the national headquarters of the uh, uh, of the CDC. And he is a world-leading expert on malaria and has actually spent most of his professional life in Africa. Anyway, he was walking his dog. I was walking my dog. I love my dog. My my dog Laney, my English bulldog is 
as I've Good mentioned, as as I've mentioned before, is pretty much the only living thing in my home that enjoys <laughs> my company, and and the same um, back to her. She's the best. So we were we were on a walk and and my CDC neighbor. He's he's a nice guy, really smart, nice guy. And I said, so what do you make of the Pfizer thing and of the the other one that came out? And he's like, it's really, really good news. Anyway, um, you know, he said the initial vaccines are going to go to the frontline workers, you know, and healthcare workers, healthcare workers, and, and clearly people that are older and more vulnerable, you know, based on their medical makeup. Anyway, Uh I, I don't know how I got to this and I don't know if anybody else has ever been curious about this. Who volunteers to be the test cases for these vaccine trials? Oh, I think they get paid for them. They do get paid for them. Yeah. They do get paid for them. Yeah, and in fact, but, this area between Johns Hopkins and, and DC and, and the NIH is a big hotbed for making money off of testing of different kinds of medications and vaccines. Would you do it? There was a point – well, look, there was a point in my life – where literally you could have stuck needles in my eyes for money. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, now I want. By the way, your tweet the other night made me want to stick a needle in your eye. Yeah, I know. I um, know. But anyway, I know. But 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 uh, but no, not not in the past twenty years, maybe. So, but you know, there was a time where you know anything for a buck seemed pretty harmless. So what if I grow a third arm? Well, so I, I anyway I I. He, by the way, you're right. This is apparently a hotbed area yes. for testing. In, in The number one reason, he explained, is first of all, and I didn't know this, the University of Maryland is a major vaccine trial, te, you know, trial testing site for them. They pay students. They pay young people primarily. And then he said the area has a lot of schools and a lot of young people and a lot of in, in college students. And I vaguely remembered, you know, some of these offerings way back in the day, you know, come in and, uh, you know, volunteer to be, you know, a trial for the, this vaccine work and we'll pay you 50 bucks or whatever. And that's essentially what it is. Um, it's still risky. And he said, it is, but not with young people. And in, in most cases, you know, th- there's not going to be a serious consequence. However, makes sense. However, okay. he, it did lead to, to this. And I said, well, you know, given the nature of this vaccine, uh, this, this disease, wouldn't it make more sense to be testing this vaccine on older people? And he said, absolutely it would. And people who are more vulnerable based on their underlying medical conditions, we would learn a lot more. And then he described something that I thought was really interesting. He said, the problem when you, um, you know, when you test a new vaccine on older people is that if those people die of a heart attack, you know, within a week of the test, you don't know if it was the vaccine or if they were actually just, you know, about to die of a heart attack because they're 80 years old or they're 85 years old. So the trials, uh, the trialing of of vaccines, the testing of vaccines on old people typically is not done because they don't, then you've got to spend time trying to figure out what the result of the heart attack was. And it can shut down a whole vaccine, even though it may have been just underlying heart disease rather than anything having to do with the vaccine. 
because well, I, can under- I can understand that. But yeah. with, with this vaccine, the the uh, efficiency rate 94 percent so on the last one. I know high. he said that's I a mean, great that's sign. All, that, that's almost double what a flu. I, mean, I know. Most people don't realize a flu vaccine is 70. So, no, I think it's 70 something. I think it's there are a couple of if you look at it up. I think they're actually, and he told me this in one of our other conversations. He told me there are actually, you know, a couple of different flu vaccines. Well, um, I got the high octane flu vaccine. Well, I I'm think over sixty-five. Then I think it's in the seventy percent. Okay, maybe it is, but I've read fifty-fifty pretty much. Uh, and I got the flu a couple years ago after I. Got I remember the vaccine. that. You know, and I never. It's the only time I ever remember getting the flu, and it wasn't. I mean, it was just a. It was just an exaggerated cold. It was never like all the uh, like the chills, the aches, all the other stuff. I've never got any of that. Right. You know. Well, I mean, so I didn't really get it that bad. There, there was a, there were a couple of other things. You know, he told me he was very encouraged by you know the 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 success rate, um, obviously with the Pfizer and the other one, which I'm forgetting the name of. I think Pfizer was at ninety percent, and this other one was at ninety four percent. I think so. Whatever, um, and. Uh, you know, but but like he said, he said, you know, we're talking about late spring, early summer before right. a- it becomes April, available May. to people that, you know, aren't, you know, of of underlying health conditions or frontline workers. They're hopeful well, at the end. They're hopeful uh, at the end of December. They can start distributing it to frontline people. Yeah, I, I know. And I'm hoping, obviously, since I'm in the age group that uh, that would be vulnerable that uh, I'll have the you know a, some a, a good spot in line. Yeah, well, you, you'll figure out point. a way to get a better spot in line, regardless. <laughs> and God knows it's not just your age, but you've got many underlying conditions. Yeah, you know, I you know you have more <laughs> than I do. <laughs> probably. No, I don't. What I, I do, you do. Um, I'm. You know what? I might only because I am asthmatic, but I'm only. I, I have asthma, but it's seasonal asthma. When the pollen in the spring is really bad, that's the only time I don't have year-round asthma. Okay. So, anyway. Okay. Listen, along those, one last thing. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a guy who likes to talk to his neighbors. Me, not so much. Well, I'm. I'm not. Look, you're you're giving me too much credit. We are. We're we're oh, ni- we're nice to every we're it. nice to I'm everybody, you, but we're not, not neighborhood involved. I'm not saying it's like it's a good thing. I know you're okay. not, but but I'm trying to put myself probably closer to your category of being maybe you're straight out aloof. Uh, I am. I'm just not. I, I I just don't want my. I don't want to waste time. I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> well, my my wife is more inclined to talk to the neighbors than I am. Right. And in our condo where we are, mm-hmm. we're not far from Fort Detrick. Right. And I've told you that Fort Detrick is the place where they make the really bad stuff when it comes to chemical warfare and things like that. That's why it was featured in the Americans. Uh, And uh, they had to shut down a lab in Fort Detrick about two years ago. And there's a lot of mystery involving the shutdown of that lab, you know? And there are people here who are convinced that the virus was started at Fort Detrick and then sent over to China. Oh my God! 
I know. This is I know. this is fascinating stuff. You know, <laughs> rem- remember the pandemic of 1917s, the Spanish influenza. Um, when it came back here, there there were multiple military sites where it really spread quickly because of soldiers coming back um, from World War One. World War One, yeah. Um, but uh, and when you when you said Fort Detrick, there's a fort. I don't know if it's Fort Hayes or something like that. I'd have to look it up. There's in Kansas, I believe it is that um, that was the original spread point for. I think I think it's Fort Courage. Fort Courage. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anybody who's listening, hope that's an Easter egg for you. Fort Courage. What's what is Fort Courage? I'm not familiar. I'll tell you. I'll tell you next podcast. Okay. Is that a real fort, or is it some sort of a pop culture uh, just, reference? Uh, let, let's continue. Is it so a wire reference? Say, what? No. What were you going to say about World War One? No, and, I was just going to say that when you mentioned Fort Detrick, it reminded me of you know some of when when this first started. I just did a lot of reading, and I had done a lot of reading on pandemics before this pandemic ever started. I was sort of interested in it, and the and there was a. Um, there was a military base where they believe this was where, you know, the the Spanish flu, the 1917 pandemic was brought back from Europe um, and really started to spread from from here. And then it ended up, obviously, in major cities. Philadelphia well, there, was, the, was the worst out of all of them. There are people around here, my neighbors, who are convinced this thing started at Fort Detrick. Is that is this just a massive conspiracy thing that you believe is completely no, it's, it's, flawed? It's, it's, or... I, I researched it online, uh-huh. and it started on a Canadian QAnon ver- version, you know, some kind of warped uh, Canadian uh, website. So I, I I dismiss it as you know conspiracy, lunatic, you know. Uh, Pizzagate kind of thing stuff. Well, I mean, it, so, it, it could have been something that they, you know, brought back to ch- from China to study here, and then it spread. No, it, st- it started here, oh. and somebody brought it to China. Oh, well, then we'd have to, instead of referring to it as in the early days, but continuing from many um, now as the China virus, we'd have to refer to it as the Frederick virus. Yes. Or exactly. the Fort Detrick virus. Yes. And boy, that would make people not want to, that would not be good for your real estate <laughs> at all. Um, so uh, anyway, um, that was my update from the CDC neighbor. I, and it's not much of an update. I, oh, he was, he definitely seems to be um, very concerned about Thanksgiving. As, by the way, the CDC, did you see their guidelines on Thanksgiving? You know, no no music, no dancing, no loud shouting, um, you know, only the immediate family. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going around and uh, about, you know, thank, there's a real concern. He said his real concern about Thanksgiving is not necessarily the large gatherings that people will have. You know that. You, people are going to ignore all the guidelines. He said it's all about the college kids coming back home. Oh yeah, like I've always said, the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Oh, it's one of my favorite nights. Party night. Well, yeah. Yeah. And even beyond college, because like you know, like when you were still young and like in your twenties and thirties, you still have people come home, 
you know, to visit their families and they go out on Wednesday night. It, it was the greatest night to go out of the year. It, I always thought that. It was such a great night. Wednesday yeah. night before Thanksgiving when everybody's coming back, especially when you're in college or like you said, you're in your 20s or 30s and people are coming back maybe from a job they've got outside of town. And it was a massive party absolutely night. yeah so you know i mean not anymore but look I mean, well it is for my boys well, and has been the last several well, yeah. years for my boys yeah I, I i get that but uh we're just doing thanksgiving just very immediate family very low-key yeah we're doing immediate family um but i mean i have a niece that lives in town and she's coming over and 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 my youngest will be getting home from penn state on friday night so you know, whatever. I mean, what are you going to do? That's remember what Test Dan them. Snyder said. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> so um, I wanted to start with this, uh, even though we just started with something else typically uh, typical of us. So I saw um, last night Darren Ravel. Uh, Darren Ravel, the longtime business reporter, you know, at ESPN, and then he's with the Action Network now. Yes, and, very familiar with Darren Ravel. Yeah, and, and most people that are listening are as well. And he tweeted out the following. He tweeted out, if they completely made up a draft pick at this point and had, and had actors celebrating in a home around a guy, 99% of viewers wouldn't know. <laughs> Talking about the NBA draft last night. Uh, he's a hundred percent right. Last night, a hundred percent right. 100... Especially if he if he's if he's a European. <laughs> well, yeah, but even some of the college players, because you didn't have know. a tournament, right. you know. But, and most the people, European ones are the easiest ones. Of course, like you but you totally could say that, that you could up. say that every year about yeah. them. But this year, especially because you didn't have an NCAA tournament right. where you a lot of these guys became play. stars. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I. I I thought it was a great tweet. I thought it was totally spot on. And by the way, literally an hour and a half earlier, Scott and I were on the phone together, and and I just said, "Are you into this NBA draft?" Like, and he goes, "No, not at all. I just got out of a meeting, and I just, you know, in preparing for the show, and I just said to everybody, who really cares about the NBA draft?" And by the way, I want to clarify because when we say Nobody cares. We realize there are people that care. That's not, we're not being literal. Okay. We are, it, it's a conversation about whether or not it rises to the level of like mass appeal. And last night for me, I could sense no way does this NBA draft rise to the le- level of mass appeal. Look, I don't even know if it does when it happens in June, you know, a week after the NBA finals are, you know, typically end after a year in which the NCAA tournament, you know, sometimes you have a star player like Zion Williamson, and that makes the draft more interesting to watch, to see and listen, you know, whatever. But last night, I was like, I don't even want to watch it. And he goes, yeah, I don't either. And then I saw Ravel tweet that out. And then the best was the responses to Ravel. Bad take, Darren. Some people do know. Some don't. Um, How about maybe for people like you, Darren, but but some people actually care about the draft. Okay, whatever. Um, I Scott said to me, he goes, well, why are you going to watch it then? And I said, yeah, I don't know why. It's not like I have to spend a lot of time talking about it on the show tomorrow. 
Yesterday, I had Tommy Shepard on the show. He's great, by the way. I've always liked Tommy. Had uh, Jalen Stick-Smith on the show. Had Chris Miller on the show. But mostly it was because of the Westbrook Wall stuff, which we, you know, I do want to get your opinion on um, here at some point because you haven't had a chance to weigh in on that. But anyway, I'm, this is a long way of getting to... I recorded the draft. I did not watch the draft. I chose instead, Tommy, to continue to watch something that you recommended, The Queen's Gambit. It is so good. Yes, it is. It is for, so... For, for, a, for a show about chess, it's pretty good. Well, you, I mean, I know... I, I mean, I'm not a chess player. I, I know how to play chess, and I... I yeah, me too. And I, and I play chess a lot. You know, like I think I may, may have mentioned this before. One of my boys, early in the pandemic for the first couple of months, we got into a real, you know, hey, let's play chess again. And for like a month and a half, we were playing, you know, every other day. But by the way, that wore pretty thin, and we haven't played for the last five months. But um, you don't have to be a chess fan, you know, or, or understand no. anything about chess to enjoy Enjoy this. That's my point. My yeah. point. I mean, if, if you told people it's a show about a, a a chess player, people would say, "What do you?" I mean, look at you with you know, like you got two heads, right? But it's it's a terrific show. Look, and this- again, it's a story by Walter Te- based on a book by Walter Tevis, who wrote the book The Hustler, which is a would turn out to be oh. a great movie in itself. Oh. So it's written by a guy who knows how to write about the underlying issues of competition. Is it fiction? Yes. Okay. I wasn't. I wasn't actually sure about that. I was going to look that up um, at some fiction. point. I didn't know if it was a true story or not. No. Um, this is going to be. Um, th- th- this is one of those recommendations that rarely the show um, co-hosts here, Sheehan and Lavero, can make <laughs> together because usually Tommy has to be, you know, at the forefront of something. Like once it becomes popular, if somebody recommends well, it to him, he's not going to watch it. He's got to discover it himself. Um, Exhibit A, the Queen's Gambit. I mean, um, but this, you know, very much like I recommended Akib Tlaib the other day, I would recommend the Queen's Gambit. <laughs> I would. No, it's so excellent. And I cannot yeah. wait to get home today to continue. I am through the first three episodes, and there's no chance that I will get beyond Saturday morning without having it finished. Well, it's, it's seven, seven episodes. episodes. Yeah. And, and there is right now... And I think that's good, but I'll bet you there's going to be a lot of pressure. There is no second season because the story is pretty much don't, kind of over. Oh well, don't don't there, give it away. Okay, but there is no second season. I have okay. I have one as as of right now. I want you to answer one thing for me because I'm curious about this. Does she reconnect with Mr. Scheibel at any point? I'm, I'm not going to tell you that. Okay. Why would you want me to tell you that? Uh, you know what? Maybe I don't. Um, no, you don't want to know that. Uh, who is he? He's so recognizable. I forget. He was in uh, uh, an HBO miniseries with John. Oh, no, 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 no. I just got it. I just got it. He was in Molly's Game. Okay. He was in Molly's Game. He He was... Um, you know, he was the guy that, you know, fell, uh, came in and law and, you know, was a big, big time guy. And it was his birthday and he was supposed to be home celebrating his birthday with his family. And then he, he started to lose and he started to chase and she gave him too much credit. Remember? Yeah, I do. He was also in a series with John Turturro 
uh, on HBO called, I think it was The Night Before. Oh, I, wa- I watched that. Well, he was the detective in that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. He was really good in that. The night. It was The Night Of. The, the Night Of. The Night Of was go. excellent. Was excellent. I didn't think it was that good, but I thought he was good. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? You say that. I thought it was really good to start, and then I remember at the end thinking it didn't pay off like I thought it should have. Um, John Turturro was great. The uh, the guy that played, um, um, you know, the main character. I don't know what his name is. Yeah, I don't know what his name is either. And uh, Omar was in it. Omar was. Omar, well, you don't know who Omar is because no. you haven't watched The Wire. No, yet. I know. Well, I'm not going to because I didn't discover it. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, that's that's my biggest one. Anyway, The Queen's Gambit. I can see you now in the vaccine line saying, I'm not going to watch. I'm not taking this vaccine. I didn't discover it. <laughs> well, I have gotten into a bit of an argument with my wife about taking the flu shot, which I've never taken before. And she... Um, said, no, you've got to take it because, you know, there's all this information now out there that says if you get a flu shot, you're actually reducing your chances of getting COVID as well yes. or, or having serious uh, implications from COVID. So yes. I, th- I think I will get a flu shot. Also, <clears throat> you're not old enough. You will be old enough soon. I think you're not old enough. There's a pneumonia vaccine. Yeah, I know. You've told me about that. I'm not I'm not old enough to get a pneumonia vaccine. But you're, you're getting there. And, I, you know, what I know, ask your CDC neighbor – if the pneumonia vaccine offers you protection from COVID-related pneumonia. Okay. I will. Okay, ask him that. I will. Because I'm curious. I'm not, I it would is, assume it, it does. Well, I mean, you know, I, I actually, to be honest with you, I haven't heard the term COVID-related pneumonia, but it I, makes I sense just, because I it's all respiratory. It. Yeah, I just came up with it. Oh, okay. I, Are I you being serious? It. Yes. Okay. Just, well, then I, I don't want to take it, it seriously then. Um, <laughs> uh, one last thing on the Queen's Gambit, which is a recommendation. The um, Tommy's recommendations typically are pretty good. Mine are much better. Um, yeah. Uh, the Afterlife, which I recommended at the beginning of the pandemic, which is the Ricky Gervais thing. You never did watch it, did you? You don't no, think? Yeah. I didn't watch it. Um, I'm not a big Ricky Ricky Gervais fan. It doesn't matter. Um, you would you you'd, you'd probably love this. Um, uh, that was uh, my recommendation at the beginning of the pandemic that many of you appreciated, and then many of you. And I was thinking about this, and I don't know what made me just think about this, but and I forget. Now, what your reaction was to it, but now I've seen it like four or five times and, and pretty much, um, typical of, well, let me just say that the once upon a time in Hollywood was a recommended recommendation that I think I gave out even before the pandemic. I forget when it, when I actually watched the movie, I love that movie so much now. It's like all of the Tarantino movies. It's like, they're really good. And then when you get to the third or fourth time, they're they're even better. And this one totally fits into like you know, in, to me, Inglorious Bastards is maybe my favorite. And it got it's still every time I watch it, it gets better and better. You did you like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or not? I liked it better the second time. I agree with you. It gets better. Yeah. Uh, when you watch it again. Absolutely. I wasn't crazy about it the first time. I watched it the second time. I liked it a lot more. Yeah, I like I liked it a lot the first time and I love it now. I've I've seen it. It's been on 
TV. It's been on HBO or whatever movie channels it's been running on um, recently. And it just, to me, it's it's just like, I don't know, you you and I have a diff- different opinion about Jackie Brown and, Kill, and the two Kill Bills. I think they're okay. You loved them. Well, um, Jackie Brown's my favorite I know. Tarantino movie. Uh, yeah. glorious Bastards. Only, only Kill and, Bill Volume 2. Volume oh, not 1, one, I'm not crazy about okay. now. Um, Inglorious Bastards to me out of all of his movies is the one that each time you watch it, it just gets better and better and better. Um, and that's right there at number one with, you know, probably Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction still is every time it's on, it's like a lot of those movies. It's hard to not watch it. Um, anyway, so I did not watch the NBA draft live. Um, but I did afterwards, you know, sort of fast forward through it. Um, it was complete. Thank God I didn't watch it live. I really, I, I, I think I would have been bored by the whole thing. You know me. I love basketball, and I love this time of you know the draft time of the year to give you a couple of players that I think you know the Wizards should draft or a couple of players that I think will actually be you know really good pros. And by the way, probably one of my many, but at near the top of the list all time got right was Kawhi Leonard. You know, oh, absolutely. And I mean that you you should you should be in that job based on that. You, t- you know what? So here's what I was going to say. I don't know. I didn't know anything. I'm not kidding. Uh, you know, I'm uh, serious. Know. Well, it, it, thank you. Um, it, it, let's also remember you and I. It, no, it was Doc and me sitting there having a long conversation with Ernie Grunfeld before um, the Steph Curry draft, the draft in which they traded for Mike Miller and Randy Foy, number five overall, <laughs> to give to flip to give to Ricky, flip Saunders. Got rid of Ricky. The draft for Ricky Rubio. Well, I, I'll never forget telling um, Ernie. You know, we had we sat there after a show and we had had Flip on, we had had Ernie on, and it was the you know. Co- it was like two days before the draft. No, it was like a couple weeks before the draft because they had hired Flip. Whatever. I think that's why we were there. And I said to Ernie, I go, I think Steph Curry's going to be a really good NBA player. He's like, eh, you know. I, he, and, 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 um, and I said, he, look, watch how quick his release is. Look at how he can create space with his ball handling. He's going to be really good. And then he said to me, he goes, and, and to give him credit, he said, James Harden. He goes, James Harden's the guy I love in this draft. He liked Ricky Rubio a lot, too. Now, they never had a chance to draft Harden because he went three in that draft, I think. Um, but he really liked Harden. And I remember I didn't love Harden at Arizona State. I actually thought he was slow and way too unathletic, which he which he really was. You know, he's never been a superb athlete, but he I'll never forget him saying James Harden's gonna be a prolific scorer in the NBA. And he was right about that, but I was right about Steph Curry. Um, and then, of course, the the uh, the draft where um, old Jan Vesely was picked um, uh, in in twenty um, in uh, what, what year was that? I forget what the draft that was now. Um, where they took uh, Vesely? What year did they take Vesely? Twenty eleven? Was it twenty eleven? Vesely? Yeah, Vesely was twenty eleven, and then Kawhi Leonard went fifteen. So a lot of teams passed on Kawhi Leonard. Um, and he loved that Jan Vesely. Anyway, I, I'm getting to this. I didn't. I don't know anything about you know Denny, you know Avdia, you know the player from Israel that they drafted. But I do respect Mike Schmitz, who I've had on the podcast, I've had on the radio show before. <coughs> he has become 
a pretty big deal at ESPN when it comes to the NBA draft and college draft, and he was part of the broadcast last night. I don't know if the, if it's the first time he's been on the main set with Billis and Jay Williams and Reese <coughs> last night, but he was on there, and he said when they drafted him, when they drafted Denny uh, Avita from uh, Israel, first uh, highest uh, drafted Israeli player of all time, and he said the Wizards just got the steal of the draft. And if you looked at some of the mocks, which I was half paying attention to, a lot of people had him going as high as four after the three players that were thought to be, you know, the three players in the running for number one, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball were gone, and he slipped to nine. So I watched a bunch of video of him last night, and I know it's video of European players in the whole thing, but, and I'm not going to, I have no idea who's going to be good and who isn't from this draft. And I, I think it's going to be almost like that draft in 2013 when Anthony Bennett went number one and Otto Porter went three and Alex Len and Ben McLemore. It was just such an unimpressive draft at the time and still is to this day um, for the most part. I mean, there were some players, don't get me wrong, that were okay. But, you know, this draft is typically, a, you know, a 10% hit rate on everybody, first and second round. But um, I'm watching highlights of this dude, Tommy. He, he's got the kind of game that totally, I think, fits for the NBA. Had no idea. I really didn't know much about him before last night. And I'm okay. just watching YouTube highlights. And I'm listening to people I respect talk about him. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see if they got this one right. And I'm, I'm rooting for Tommy Shepard to get it right, by the way. I really would. Look um, it. But Look, anyway, I, like, I liked what I saw. Tommy Shepard, from what I know, has a reputation as being one of the one of the most plugged in people on international players in the NBA. I mean, that's that's his claim to fame. And uh, Ernie didn't listen to him a lot of times. So I've given Tommy Shepard a clean slate. You know, just because he worked for Ernie, I don't put any of Ernie's sins on him right. because I know there was some, there was some conflict there. And Tommy Shepard has a lot of expertise and a lot of good sources on international players. So I give him the benefit of the doubt in, in that case. But as far as being a fit for the NBA, here's what Scott Brooks uh, apparently said that uh, about uh, I, I, Avdija. Denny Avdija. It's Avdia. I believe that's how it's pronounced. That's the way I I would pronounce it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, According to Brooks, his his shooting range is not bad. Well, that's what you want in an NBA player in (laughs) 2020. Well, somebody whose shooting range is not bad. So well, uh, you know that's like saying what's next? He has good pen. No, you, per you know per usual, you're you're just you're you're missing the context. The context of that is that the criticism of him is that he's not a good shooter. No, that he's, he's an, not a good shooter. That he's an inconsistent shooter. So let me just tell you what I saw watching him um, on YouTube highlights last night. Oh, I saw God. a guy with a very good stroke 
So whether or not he's been shooting a high percentage or not, and I saw that he was 32% recently on three-pointers and 58% on free throws, which is shocking to me. I saw a guy that squares up well and has a very good-looking stroke. So I'm but actually he's, but he's su- not a good shooter right now. I, I'm surprised. He's, he's your ninth pick in the draft. I'm surprised in, in the that he's a 2020 NBA. I think what and, Scott and Brooks was saying shoot. is that don't necessarily pay attention to the numbers over there. Um, he's got a good stroke, and he'll end up being a good shooter yeah, as yeah. he grows. It'll be much easier to shoot in the NBA <laughs> than it will in Israeli basketball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, kid. you know what? Actually, the way it's played over here, sort of. I mean, there's not a whole lot of defense. <laughs> certainly not in the bubble. Um I have no idea. I, I just when I was watching it, it's funny. One of my boys, my, my youngest at Penn State, he 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 texts me early this morning. He goes, I watched the highlights. He goes, Luca. He goes, he's Luca Doncic. And I said, he's he there's a lot of you sure he didn't mean Luca Brockley? <laughs> yeah. Um and and I said I go, there's a lot of similarities in the way they, they play make and they, they're good passers and they're both six nine or whatever Luca is. Luca might be six ten. But yeah. Luca Luca's much more of a uh, of a point. I mean, you want the ball in his hands all the time. I don't know if you want that with this guy, but you I could see it. I could see it. The big difference is Luca's really um Luke is bigger and stronger, even as a yes. super young player. And this guy is sort of rail thin. I don't even know what his weight is, but I'm gonna guess he's like two two hundred or two oh well, he can't be two hundred pounds at six nine. He's probably like two fifteen, two twenty, something like that. And Luca, I'm gonna look up what Luca's is. Um Luca's just thicker, much thicker. Luca Luca's only six seven, first of all. And He's two thirty. Yeah, Luca's just thicker to me in terms of the way he looks, and but there well, are I similarities in their game. Six, What'd you say? I thought he was bigger than. Yeah, six, so did seven. I. So did I. I thought he was bigger too, and so. Well, you know, this kid will have a chance to learn how to shoot under the uh, mentorship of John Wall. <laughs> All right, so let's get to that real quickly, and then we're going to get to football stuff. So what did you think of the story, uh, the multiple stories from The Athletic and then, and then confirmed? And then Tommy, Tommy Shepard, Tommy, uh, was on my show yesterday, and I said, w- tell us what's going on there. And he starts giving me, well, Kevin, you know, you've been in the business for a long time. You know these things, these, these things get out and that, you know, teams are talking to each other. And, you know, teams like to talk to each other about lots of things. It's sort of unfortunate that it got out. But, you know, we, that's what it is. And I just said to him, I go, you're right. I've been, a, I've been around long enough to know that what you just gave me was not a denial. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and he just laughed. So they were, they, they talked to the Rockets. This was a real thing about Westbrook and Wall, and it's not over yet. I would assume that it's not over yet. Apparently, Houston wants more than Wall. Why do you think the Wizards are willing to deal John Wall? Well, uh, he's damaged goods, for one thing. Uh, Before he got hurt, I knew that he was a major headache behind the scenes for them. I don't know what he's been doing since, you know, he hasn't been playing. But well, I know he, had the, was, he had the video with the gang, you know, I know, I, thing, I don't which he had to that. profusely apologize. Yeah, but yeah. you know who does care about that? Ted. You're damn right he does. Yeah, I know. That's, bad, bus- that's that. bad business for a team that needs business. 
Yeah, I'll grant you that. But he's John Wall's just not that impressive a player anymore, and he, now he's damaged goods, coming off multiple uh, surgeries. Uh, so uh, look, I've I've said before, I've said for years now, Russell Westbrook is a loser. He, you're never going to win, and I mean win, I mean win an NBA title with Russell Westbrook on your team. At some point, he may win an NBA title when he's a passenger on, you know, a, an older passenger on a team where there's where there's other guys leading the charge. But Russell Westbrook is never going to lead you to an NBA title. That said, the Wizards are much better with Russell Westbrook than John Wall. Um. You know, I've been a big Westbrook fan over the years. It was funny because when the stuff came out, you know, there are a bunch of people tweeting me saying, oh, Sheehan's going to be, you know, over the top, over the moon, over this. Um, I'm actually not. Um, and although I think it would be a better story for the Wizards, I think it would generate more interest for the Wizards. I really do. I don't know if Wal- I think they'd be more competitive. I don't know if Wall's damaged goods or not. I have no idea what he's going to return as after the injury. I mean, Russell, you know, Russell Westbrook's had a lot of issues, you know, with knees, et cetera, um, and some injuries in recent years. It's not like he's been perfectly healthy every year of his career either. Um, in many ways, I think I'd really get excited about it, but I'm with you. I've come around to feeling this way. There's um there, there's nobody that tries or competes harder than Russell Westbrook in any professional sport that I watch. That's my opinion. Um, and I've always loved that about him. He's also a really good player, like an MVP, like a three-time triple-double guy after it had been, I don't know, Tommy, 50 years since the Big O had done it. Um, but, you know, and in, 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 in the truth is, like, if you go back to when they made it to the finals, you know, Westbrook was the alpha. More than Durant was, you know, in that series against the Heat. They were never going to win that series. The series that really they should have won to make it back to the NBA Finals was the 2016 Conference Finals when they were up 3-1 against Golden State. And Westbrook was dealing in that series. And in Game 5, you know, with a chance to put him away at home, Kevin Durant was 12 of 35 or whatever from the field. You know, in that game, it was something horrific and they, they blew a lead and they blew the game. And it, unfortunately, Golden State went on to win, come back and win that. And then eventually win the NBA title. But anyway, Westbrook has, um, I I mean, I, I'm not sitting here trying to, to diagnose, but he's got that attention deficit thing. His mind is, he, he, his mind is racing so fast, and it's ahead of his body, and in crunch time in the postseason, you've got to be able to slow everything down, and he's never been able to slow everything down. He's ne- he, he is, you know, a thousand miles an hour all the time when it's not appropriate to be that, and what ends up happening, and it's happened a lot of times in the postseason, he becomes a turnover machine. They are horrible decisions he's making at full speed when he needs to slow down, and the truth is he's become a worse shooter, you know, in recent years. He actually looks very much to me at times like a guy that's very uh, that lacks a lot of confidence in his jump shot. You know, especially as a three-point shooter because you know there were various times where he wasn't a horrible three-point shooter. Um but he he's become a really bad three-point shooter. And 
you know, how do you play around him? Like Scott Brooks coached him, coached him and Durant together. He knows what he would be getting. So I'm assuming if they were really having these conversations, Scott Brooks told Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonsis, yeah, I can coach Russ. Um, But I don't know how it would work with Beal. I think it would work better with Beal than with Harden because Beal doesn't have to have the ball in his hands like Harden did and, and, and does. But it's not going to lead to anything great, you know. No. It's not going to. Oh, oh, come on! Oh, come on! That's not what I'm talking about. They'd be, they'd be more competitive with Westbrook than John Wall. I don't know that. Tra- I don't know that to be true. Tra- I think they would. I mean, I think it's possible. It's not going to translate into any noteworthy success. No. I, I mean, I, I would be excited about Wall if he's if he's back to Wall athletically, and I don't know if he is or or isn't, nor do you. I mean, we would assume after a ruptured Achilles that there may be a long-term issue with an athletic, fast player like John. Um, But, you know, we were told that he was really hurt over that last year, year and a half anyway when he was playing and that he might actually be better um, and more physically fit. But whatever. I mean, there is – I think a healthy John Wall, Bradley Beal, Davis Bertans, all right, they need him – Rui, who I'm still not completely sold on, um, you know, is is a is a group that if jo- you know it's all about John being John again, is a group that could do what they did before, get to the playoffs and maybe win a series, and that's all I would see with Russell Westbrook, and in place of John Wall, is a team that could go to the postseason and maybe win a series. That's it. See, the the per- the reason for that more than any any other reason is Bradley Beal's not a number one player on a championship contender. He's a number two player. He's a number two option on a championship team, on a legitimate championship contender. He's developed into an elite NBA scorer, don't get me wrong, but he's not a top five or top ten player in the game. You know, so he should have probably made one of the top three teams, which he did not last year. He probably should have made the third team. You could have made the case for him making the third team. I think actually, they, you know, he should have been on the third team, but that puts him in the top eleven to fifteen players. Well, you don't win a title in the NBA with your best player being number twelve in the league. You have to have a top fiver, or you got no shot. And they they would not have a top fiver with Westbrook or Beal or Wall and Beal. So they're not going to contend for an NBA title in either scenario. With that said, Russell Westbrook might be a lot of fun as long as he could stay healthy because he's not always been healthy. Yeah. They'd be more fun to watch. They're, they're, I mean, I'm all in favor of the trades. Absolutely. Yeah, but you're – but, 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 but Oklahoma City would be nuts to do it even up. Houston. He plays for Houston. Houston. Houston, I mean. Houston would be nuts to do it even up. Well, I don't think the Wizards the way, should be giving up a lot more. Did you see Oklahoma City over the next six years had 17 first-round picks? What? Yes. I did not see that. What are you talking about? That's what somebody posted on Twitter. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's wrong. That's something I read. 17? Over the next six years. That seems crazy. Yeah. Um. I'm looking for something that would tell me that that's what they have. I don't know. Uh, Thunder future NBA draft picks. Complete list of OKC's bounty after the Al Horford trade the other day. Um, 
2020, they had their number 17 pick from the Timberwolves last night. 2021, they have two. 2022, they have one, two, three. But they're, they're, you know, there's a lot of protected picks in here. So they may, like the Suns pick, if it's outside the top 13. Right. Um, and then in 2023... It looks like they have a lot of first round picks yeah. over the uh, between now and 2026. The Thunder stockpiled 17 first round picks through 2026. Well, that's six years from now. Yeah, no, you're right. That's it, but six but years. a lot of them are protected, so they're not guaranteed okay. to get them. But yeah, that's no, they're not. Yeah, well, great. You know what? You know what they have to do with one of those 17 is get a top five player in the league and luck into that, or they're 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 not going to to win a title. Well, they got a better chance of doing it than your team here in Washington with 17 shots at it. <laughs> I guess. Um, one last thing. I'm really happy for Sticks, Jalen Smith. Um, I had him on the radio show yesterday, too. Really smart kid. I've been told how smart he is before and what a great kid he is. He, you know, it's funny, these these mock drafts, you know, you start looking at him. I look at him solely because as a Maryland fan, I want to – you know, like whether it was Bruno or or Kevin Herter or Anthony Cowan or Stick Smith or or now you know it's Wiggins, um, and you, you just want to see as a Maryland fan, it gives you pride that a guy's being mocked really high, but you also hope that he gets mocked low so he comes back, you know, and he doesn't go early. And so all year long, you know, Sticks was basically for a while he was mocked as a second round pick, and I remember talking. I think I talked to. Turgeon during the season or maybe right before the season last year and I said is there any chance Sticks would be back he goes no and I said you know he's mocked in like the second round he goes stop paying attention to those mocks (laughs) he goes there's no chance he's a second rounder now you know could he you know there were some things he said he's got to improve upon and he's got to do this and he's got to do that and and he knew that there were certain things he had to work on but you know the people that really know know more, more than these mock draft sites and he went 10th like he wasn't even close he was he was you know easily in the lottery going to phoenix which by the way they have an interesting team and with chris paul there actually sticks will be a really good pick and pop um uh, guy um Anyway, uh, I guess that is enough on the draft, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Me too. Uh, We're back to talk about the Washington football team um, and a couple of news items uh, related to them when we return, right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Uh, there was some breaking news um, since the end of the radio show this morning. They put Jaron Christian, the left tackle, on injured reserve. Um, so Cornelius Lucas is hurt too. So they're they're a little bit thin uh, offensive line-wise um, heading into the game against Cincinnati on Sunday. Tommy will have his Cincinnati-Washington pick before the end of the show. But a couple things to get to. So Ron Rivera was asked on Monday during his Monday press conference following the game on Monday about the kicking situation. You know, are you considering after Dustin Hopkins missed another kick, he's 30th in field goal percentage in the NFL, are you considering about, you know, uh, considering a move there, a kicker bringing in some kickers? And Ron Rivera said on Monday, quote, it's something that we are talking about and discussing. The hard part is when you bring a guy in, you have to make sure you have a guy that fits you, that has a lot of experience because you're going to replace an experienced guy. Again, it's something that we're discussing. So yesterday in his presser, in which he was a bit snippy, did you um, did you watch any of this from yesterday? No, I didn't. So he was, I actually kind of liked it. He was a bit snippy and short, but somebody, but here we go again with the, you know, I mean, we're going to nitpick it here a little bit, but he was asked, um, you know, uh, I think uh, by Pete Haley, um, who works with JP and those guys over at, at NBC Sports Washington, he said, so you said Monday that you'd be considering, you know, um, uh, a, a kicker, you know, bringing in some kickers and... Ron immediately bites back, and he said, I didn't say anything about considering a kicking change. Let's be straight on that. The only thing is they asked me if I'm thinking about it, and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about it, but nothing about a kicking change. And then there's a follow-up, and he said, well, like I said, I've said nothing about a kicking change. I mean, even in the answer yesterday, I didn't say anything about considering a kicking change. Let's be straight on that. The only thing is they asked me if I'm thinking about it, thinking about a kicking change, and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'll tell you why I bring it up. I'll tell you why I bring this up. Because I think this is another example of now Ron being another coach that's starting to get this feeling that the D.C. media is too tough and asks questions and and trying to entrap him. Which is so, which is so unbelievable, because I'm telling you, I'm telling you the amount of cheerleaders in this town, they're, they're, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, I can't fathom this. Can't what you're saying can't possibly be true. He can't believe that. Well, they don't you believe that every single coach that's been here over the last you know uh, decade plus, not not Joe. But, you know, whether it was Zorn or Shanahan thought it was a tough media market. Jay yes. obviously thought it was. Their PR people have always thought that it's really a tough media market. So Ron thinks that now. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. Well, he, I mean, he I, clearly... I, I, no words for that. He clearly, his answer on Monday absolutely made it imperative that somebody follow up on that yesterday. You would agree with that, right? Yes. So they did. No one was trying. It, it wasn't a gotcha question. It was, you know, you said you were going to consider, you know, the, you said you were going to talk about it and consider it, and and and, and he, he denies it. And, but by the way, in the denial, he admits it too. <laughs> so it's like both. But I, I brought it up because I thought the whole press conference yesterday, and I liked it a little bit. I liked that he was, you know, a little bit shorter and not so long-winded. Um, but I am. It, it leads me to believe that he's now on the page of oh, these things, 
they're out to get they're out to get us. They're out to take my words and twist them. Well, I think you know, with every game they lose, and there will be more that they will lose. He's going to get more and more texty because it's no fun want being three and thirteen. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not fun being three and thirteen, and that could be where they're headed. Yes, I don't think they are though. It's going to be better than that. See, cheerleader, cheerleader. No, I don't put you in that category. Um, but I. Uh, Anyway, I thought that that was funny. First of all, I mean, I, I it's like the, I, I, I was a Ron Rivera. I was a fan of the hiring. I was a fan of him. I'm not bailing on him. I think it's been a tough year for him for personal reasons, clearly. I'm compassionate about that. He's been fighting cancer for crying out loud. You can tell during a lot of these pressers and a lot of this stuff that he's been a little bit off. But at the same time, you know, it's so consistently mixed messaging. It's, I, I, I just don't, I'm unsure of him. Like, I, I asked this question and we took calls this morning, Tommy, on the following question. Have you seen anything about this new regime through nine weeks, through nine games, that tells you it's going to get better? And I, and I asked that question because I sort of asked that question of myself and how, what do I think? And my answer is... I haven't really seen anything about this new regime that tells me it's going to get better. And, but I'm, I'm unsure of it because I do think that Ron Rivera is a quality guy and was a quality coach. And this, by the way, again, put the disclaimer, put the Surgeon General's warning to the side. Right. Um, but in, in terms of Rivera, you know, is there anything that you would say tells you it's going to get better? Anything about anything that's going on that tells you it, it, it's going to get better? Well, again, this is this is not fair to Washington football fans. And I think like any coach, Barry Trotz didn't recognize this until maybe uh, the last year he was here. And Ron Rivera needs to recognize this. It'll make his job easier. When you take this job, you take all the history that comes with it. Yeah, you I mean, do. You can't, you can't sit there and say, well, that was I wasn't here then. That doesn't matter to Washington football fans. You know, they've been here. They've and you have to recognize that and carry those losses and that dysfunction on your shoulders, however unfair it is. That'll go a long way towards getting people to realize that, okay, we got to be a little patient. If you recognize the pain and say, I understand, and you have every right to feel that way. I think I think it, it would go it would go some way towards having people be a little bit more patient. Oh, I mean, it would look, go this, a long way. Okay, that's then the best is, advice anybody could give the new person in town taking that job. And this year, I think it's just a throw. It's such a bizarre year. It's a bizarre for all of us. So why would the why would the football team and Ron Rivera be any different? It's almost like a throwaway year. You know, so so I mean, I'm not judging Rivera on anything really moving forward. I mean, there may be some things I disagree with along the way, some bizarre moments along the way. But in the scheme of long term success, I don't count it one way or the other. It's almost like just like, you know, we're we're swimming until a lifeboat comes by. There is. um you know, in tying this back to sort of the Rivera getting snippy, 
Um, Jack Del Rio being sensitive on Twitter to you know fan criticism. My advice to them would be, in addition to your advice, which is great advice, which is, you know what, I understand what you've been through, and and we're we're working to make it better, and you have every right to feel the way you have felt. Now, the problem with that, of course, is it goes hand-in-hand with Brian LaFamina admitting that, you know, they they don't have a fan base anymore and they don't have a a ticket base (laughs) waiting list, which got them promptly fired. But it would be really good. It would be a great connection. It would be a reality connection with all of us that have been here because in many ways, like, it's time for him to embrace the understanding that his fan base is, you know, has been insulted and treated so poorly and they're victims. Like yes. he's dealing with with victims of of a 20-year relationship that has been a one-sided insult beatdown. Um and at the same time, he has to tune out the, you know, the media noise that seems to be irritating to him and to Jack Del Rio, because, you know, the media asking the questions it asks is is also coming from a, a perspective of understanding who the owner is. You know, when he told Ben Standig last week, when he when he had that line where he said, there's a group of you guys that I think have the right attitude towards what we're trying to do here, and then a couple of you that don't and think it's a joke, and honestly, that really pisses me off. You know, that's not the right answer, Coach. No, that's not the right answer. No, it's not saying there's some of you that are pulling for us, and then there's some of you that just aren't on board with the team. (laughs) The bottom line is he and Jack Del Rio and, you know, um, there are a lot of people that come into this organization that don't have the perspective of two decades of living with Dan Snyder. And 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 in dealing with the ramifications of one of the worst owners in sports, you know, we have seen Tommy, right? We have seen a parade of distinguished men come into this town as head coaches. Joe Mar- Marty Schottenheimer, Joe Gibbs, Mike Shanahan, and Ron Rivera would be in that category. Yes. Who have seen the worst and can now tell you why the fans were the way they were. The media asked the questions they asked again. It it always reminds me. And I know I tell this story probably too much, but the day that you and I, and I, and I ended up asking Jim Zorn after a win, (laughs) (laughs) after a win, a nine to seven win over the Rams. If he was concerned that if he didn't beat the lions, he might be in jeopardy of losing his job. And you and I both sat there together and we saw his reaction. He was incredulous. He was incredulous. And, and I told him afterwards, I said, I know that you're not happy. And I know that that is a question that you can't even fathom could be asked after a win, but it's because your perspective isn't what our perspective is. And that is one coach after another coming and going very quickly. And then by, by the end of that year, he was sitting in the studio with us for the whole show. <laughs> for the whole show. Yeah, I've, t- I've told people he, that story. Yeah, Because he hated going out into that building. Oh, he hated it. And he would remember he would look at us every once in a while. Oh, th- th- well, I told this story to Cooley, I think, the other day, not to you. But the line about um, when, when uh, Rivera said to Standing last week, um, when he said um, that 
that some of you guys are fascinating, you know, talking about the beat reporters. And do you remember when Jim Zorn, one of those days where he was hanging out, listening to the entire show and not leaving the studio, he would look like in between breaks, he would go, God, I'm listening to you guys. That's fascinating. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like, the last time I heard fascinating from a coach about media members was Jim Zorn. That's a bit scary. Um, But, oh my God. You see, overall, I think Ron Rivera's done a, a really good job with the media. I, and, I, do I mean, too. you know, the, the, the little hiccups here and there, uh, you know, I mean, everything's everything in our lives is getting old right now. So patience is going to wear thin for anyone. So I, I give him absolutely the benefit of the doubt in this situation. We know we know Ron Rivera can coach. We know that he had a he that he that media members in Charlotte. I'm not saying this is this is necessarily a good thing. But media members got along with Ron Rivera in, in, in Charlotte. Uh, Jack Del Rio, we know, is a good defensive coach. Right. He's had good success everywhere he's been, pretty much, as a defensive coordinator. He may be nuts, but he can coach. So ultimately, you think if if things you know progress normally, they will find the path to being better. I think the the additional advice too for Del Rio and for uh for Rivera and Del Rio and anybody else that's new to town that's trying to change the culture is look, the skepticism from everybody is totally justifiable. You need to understand that if you want us to go through the whole 20 years, we can do that. Just understand that the, that the bottom line is that whether it's people in the media like me who are rooting, because that's not my job to be objective, um, I am rooting for him to succeed. A lot of fans are rooting for him to succeed, but we're also very skeptical because of what we've seen. We've seen other very qualified men come in here and have, you know, the ability, and if they were in other places, to turn it around, but they've left essentially as lesser men or lesser reputation men um, because of their uh, because of their relationship and because they worked in this organization for a bad owner. So, you, you know, to somebody like Ron Rivera, look, if you're feeling like the media is not on your side or that fans are, are, are being too tough, this really isn't a super tough media market. You know, it's a team that people follow and are very passionately um, involved in following, and they will be critical. But it's, they're, it's that they're skeptical. They're very skeptical. And it's not you. It's the owner. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah, that's, I mean, look, I've said before, you know, uh, when you come to this team, uh, and they they don't do this as much as they used to, but they but people still like to do it. When you, when you talk about the three Super Bowls and the proud tradition of this franchise, you get that, but you also get the other That's stuff right. too. You can't you can't separate it. You can't say yeah we've got three Super Bowls in our trophy case, and then say don't tell me about all the stuff that happened before I got here. You can't do that. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, two things to finish up with. One will be Tommy's 
Cincinnati-Washington prediction. And then I'm going to share with you a couple of Vegas tells. And when I say Vegas tells, I think some of the lines this weekend and even last weekend are telling you, and some of the futures odds are telling you what they think about some of the teams in the NFL right now. And I think a couple of them are interesting. And one of them deals with a team that we'll be playing tonight. Uh, We'll do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. All right, Tommy will have his Washington-Cincinnati prediction here momentarily. Uh, quick word about Window Nation. If you're in the market for new windows and it was cold this morning and it's going to continue to get colder as we approach winter, and you should be thinking about new windows if your windows are old or you just want to upgrade. If you're thinking about that, please go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. Right now they're giving out a deal that you can't beat. Uh, it's basically half price. You buy two windows, you get two free. Um, you can get a house full of windows for less than $75 a month. And I've used Window Nation. Family members have used Window Nation. Listeners have used Window Nation. Not one complaint. I swear on my children that's true. Not one person has ever called me to say that the experience wasn't um, a good one. Uh, you don't have to trust me. You can just call them and get a free estimate. And they'll give you references, and if mine isn't good enough, call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. You get a free estimate uh, online, virtual quote, or they'll come into your home following all CDC guidelines. Again, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them that Kevin Sheehan sent you. So before we get to your prediction uh, on the game on Sunday, I wanted to mention a few things because, first of all, This is actually the only thing right now that sports-wise seems to have it together. Poor college football seems to be falling apart before our very eyes. Maryland-Michigan State canceled Saturday. By the way, Mike Loxley has COVID. Um, Wish Coach Locks uh, the best. Um, hopefully he is, you know, symptomless or very mild symptoms. Uh, but the Maryland Ohio state game got canceled last week and they just canceled the Maryland Michigan state game, which was supposed to take place, uh, at noon on Saturday. Um, and college football games are just getting postponed and canceled all over the map. I mean, we're going to end up with a very strange college football season, but the NFL's been intact. You know, we had some postponements, we had some reschedules, but it's intact as of now. Um, yeah. And I'm enjoying this NFL season, even if Washington season isn't a great one. But there are a couple things that I, I found interesting as I started to look at the point spreads for this weekend's games in preparation a little bit for the smell test, which will be out tomorrow. Um, some of you probably don't even want it. So I told you last week that. I think Vegas is down on Seattle, that um, the Seahawks, who were just a couple of weeks ago uh, the favorites to win the NFC Championship, Russell Wilson was the favorite to win the MVP, Um, all of those things were coming together, Seattle looked like a juggernaut, well they've lost two out of their last three, the Rams beat them 
uh, last weekend. They, I'm, so, I'm sorry, they've lost three out of their last four because they've lost two in a row, and then they lost in their last game against Arizona. They play Arizona tonight in the, in the Thursday night game. Right now, the Saints, the Packers, the Bucks, the Rams, and the Cardinals on my site are all better, you know, better shots odds-wise to win the NFC Championship. Then you get Seattle, and then right below Seattle is Minnesota. Minnesota's been climbing up the odds uh, rankings uh, for NFC Championship odds. Now, there's a big difference between Seattle and Minnesota. Okay, I've got Seattle at ten to one. I've got Minnesota at twenty-five to one. But the point is, is you now have five teams in front of Seattle in the NFC. You know, in Vegas, in terms of futures odds to win to win the NFC Championship, they're only a three-point favorite tonight over Arizona. Arizona, you know, won on a hail mary last week, but the week before they lost to Miami. Vegas is down on Seattle right now. I'm, that's just a heads up for those of you that are thinking about putting money on Seattle because the odds are better. Look, I think it's risky to short Seattle, Tommy, because they've got Russell Wilson and they've got DK Metcalf. They have two really exceptional players. Russell Wilson, by the way, not not even close to a favorite now to win the MVP. Patrick Mahomes is ahead of him. And um, let me pull up the latest MVP odds on my site. Mahomes, Rodgers, Murray. Actually, Murray and Wilson have the same odds, but Mahomes and Rodgers are ahead of Wilson. Wilson was the favorite two weeks ago. He had moved ahead of Mahomes. Anyway, um, Vegas through their futures odds and through their point spreads here are telling you they don't think Seattle's as good as everybody else thinks they are. That's number one. Number two, Vegas is telling you this weekend in particular – But I have a feeling that it may be moving forward here through the rest of the year that Dallas isn't as terrible as we all think. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't know if I buy it, but I do. In looking at the line for this week's game against the Vikings, they're only a seven-point underdog. They were a 14-point underdog to the Steelers two weeks ago. You know, in their last game before their bye, and as we know, they nearly pulled off the upset. Now that was with Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. Dalton is back, but the odds on them winning the division have crept up. Even though they haven't won, they're two and eight, and it's you know in part because everybody else is losing. But the updated division odds: Philadelphia is still a favorite, and then the Giants are the second favorite now. Washington and Dallas are nearly the same at this point. Washington's nine to one. Dallas is ten to one. Dallas was fifteen or seventeen to one, you know, before the Pittsburgh game. So, and I think I know why. I think they look at Dallas and they say there's just too much talent for them to be this terrible. And they played a really good game against Pittsburgh. You know, the perceived best team in the NFL. And Dallas can run the football. They actually have more talent up front on defense um, and and have a decent pass rush. They've not been good at stopping the run, but they have Washington, the Eagles, the Giants, the 49ers, the Bengals, and the Vikings, who are red hot right now, on their schedule. So Vegas is telling you don't give up on Dallas yet for the NFC East. That's another tell. The point spread this week's a big tell too. I I promise you Dallas is going to be in the smell test and I am 6 and 0 on games involving the Vikings this year. 
either having the Vikings or being against the Vikings. And I don't know that the Vikings lose this game, but I bet this is a close game Sunday, especially Minnesota coming off Monday night. The emotion of beating the Bears for the first time in a few years. Kirk being phenomenal the other night and winning for the first time on Monday night football. This is a trap game Sunday for Minnesota. Um, So that's another, just another tell. Here's one more. Vegas thinks Indianapolis is really good. So do I. I think the Colts are really well coached. I think their defense is exceptional. Phillip Rivers has all of a sudden got it together um, after a rough start, you know, first year in in this place. Um, He's got some weapons. You know, they're not loaded with weapons, but they got enough. That game against Tennessee a week ago tonight, right? A week ago, it was a Thursday night game. So impressive. Um, They've won three out of their last four. The one loss was to the Ravens. That loss was a little bit misleading. It was a very tight game. Uh, Baltimore had a fumble return for a touchdown, and they also had a phantom interception in that game in a 10-10 game. Um, they're They're favored over Green Bay Sunday, Indianapolis is. They're favored over the Packers. And they, I'm telling you, Vegas is looking at Indianapolis right now, who, by the way, is now a heavy favorite to win the AFC South over Tennessee after winning that game last week. Vegas, the tell on Indy is that Vegas really likes the Colts. So do I. I think the Colts could get to the final four of this whole thing. I think they're that good. Um, anyway, I wanted, to, I wanted to share some of that with you. I think there was one other thing that I had. Um, I am interested to see. I think they think Washington's better than most people think. Washington's a one-and-a-half-point favorite right now over Cincinnati. Washington was only a two-and-a-half-point when the game went off Sunday at Detroit. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, Thursday's game, the Thanksgiving Day game, I've already seen the look-ahead line. It's a pick em. I think Washington-Vegas realizes is better than their record indicates. And I would bet that they think the same way about the Giants but we're not going to see that this weekend because the Giants are, um, are are in their bye week. But the fact that the Giants have climbed up to easily the second favorite in the division tells you that the Vegas, uh, that that uh, the the odds makers out in, in the desert believe the Giants are better than their record indicates. Anyway, wanted to share that. Any questions? No questions, boss. All right. Uh, what's your pick for Sunday? Well, the one question I would have on that is if Dallas is better than what we think, then I don't know where the third win is going to come from Washington. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, when I say better than we think, it's be- it means that I think they believe Dallas isn't going to get blown out every single game the rest of the year, and they actually think that they're going to be competitive in some of their games. Like this weekend, coming off Monday night, given the fact – I mean, look, Dallas was impressive against P- Pittsburgh, and they probably should have won that game. There was a terrible call on Pittsburgh's go-ahead drive um, but uh, that went against the Cowboys. I think what they're saying is they're going to be an underdog in a lot of these games, and they're going to probably be worth playing as an underdog. Um, and Dalton's back, and Dalton is better than what they had, certainly better than the JMU kid. Anyway. Uh, okay, Washington, Cincinnati. Look, uh, the Bengals, like the Lions, are perfectly capable of, of self-destructing and uh, you know coughing the ball up to a defense and finding themselves down themselves down 10 nothing or 13 nothing or 20 to 3 at the end of the first half 
Uh, but what I think is going to happen is what has happened for the last three weeks. I think that Joe Burrows and the Cincinnati offense can can certainly outscore Alex Smith and the Washington offense. I think they'll take a lead early, and I think they'll wind up with a with probably a two touchdown lead going into the fourth quarter, uh, and hang on for a thirty-one to twenty-four win over Washington. Thirty-one twenty-four. Um, Sean Springs told me this morning. He said he does not like the matchup for Washington's defense. He thinks that Burrow is really good at extending plays and that their receiving core, if A.J. Green plays, he he didn't practice yesterday. I don't know what it is today. Um, but if you haven't watched T. Higgins, who, if you're a college football fan, you certainly remember from Clemson the last few years, and he went in the second round. I mean, he was a projected first-round guy potentially, ended up going in the second round. He has been incredible this year. Um, he is a big time guy and they do, I mean, with Boyd and Higgins and AJ green. And then if Mixon plays, he hasn't played recently. I think he's been out the last couple of games. Um, but, uh, they are dangerous offensively. There's no yeah. doubt. Uh, they, they are put up points. Yeah. Um, all right. 31, 24 Cincinnati. You got anything else? I got, not. uh, we can talk, we can do it next week. Well, well yeah. Yeah, I do have one other thing. Okay. Uh, you saw the Hall of Fame ballot came out uh, this week. Who's on the Hall of Fame and all that uh, on the ballot this year? Did you see that? Did you did you even bother with it? Uh, not really. Oh my God! Sorry. You do do a sports talk radio show. I, don't I you? do. I do. Who was? Tell me who on the who was on the ballot. Well, there's nobody on the ballot. What does that mean? I mean Barry Zito, Tim Hudson, AJ Burnett, Tory Hunter. I mean, are, are some of the new guys that are on the ballot. My point is that the bat this year will be the best chance for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and uh, maybe Kurt Schilling to wind up getting in because there's really not a lot to root for. I mean, right now, I'm a, I'm a generous voter, and I usually typically have voted for all you know, the 10, the limit you're allowed to vote for. Right. But right now on the ballot, I would vote for three guys. Who? Omar Vizquel, yep. Billy Wagner, and Jeff Kent, who I've all voted for before. That's it. I wouldn't vote for anybody else uh, on the ballot, any holdovers or any of the new guys. So I think there are some people who just look at their ballots and say, wow, this is really empty, and finally give uh, against my better wishes because I don't vote for Bonds or Clemens or showing, uh, and uh, I think this will be their best chance to get in because the ballot's so weak. Now, Bonds and Clemens, well, do you this think is they their will, next to last year. Do you think they year. will get in? Do you think they will get in? I think this is their best chance. No, I don't think they'll get in. Okay. Uh, but uh, this is their last next to last shot. They only got one more shot after this year. And Robbie Cano, who got suspended again for steroids for a year, has – totally torpedo his chance of ever being in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah. <laughs> Although, what, what, what did they owe him this year? $24 million, I think I read. Yeah. I mean, for the Mets, this is this is a good deal for <laughs> yeah, this right. year. So I don't have to, but they still owe $48 million for the two years after that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's painful. They, they still owe him. I have one more thing for you. Yeah. Um, last night was the um, – Believe it or not, the 35-year anniversary of the Joe Theismann injury game on Monday That's Night right. Football. 
It was it was November eighteenth, nineteen eighty five, uh, when he went down in a heap with Lawrence Taylor, putting hands over helmet and then waving people out quickly, and and uh, Theismann was carted off with that broken leg that ended his career that night against the Giants. Yeah. Jay, Jay Schrader came in the first pass he threw was to Art Monk for a big play, and um, they were off and running, uh, and they came they they won the game. Washington wash, their skins won the game twenty three twenty one. And Schrader became the quarterback. And then we had Schrader, Doug Williams. And thank God we had Doug Williams eventually. Um, God, that was a weird night. I was in that stadium that night. Were you really? Yeah, I was at the game. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't know sitting in the crowd. You knew something was wrong. And obviously when Joe got carted off, you figured it was it was bad. And back then, you know, I, I, I didn't bring a radio to the game. But so many people around us in our section – um, had radios, and then the word got out that it was, you know, a snap. It looked like a broken leg, and you know, it was, it was that was that was a strange, eerie moment. Um, but I remember the completion from Schrader to Art Monk when he when he came in. I think it was, you know, the first or second play after he came in, and the stadium was electric on that completion. And you know, you're this is 1985, Tommy. You're playing the Giants at home on Monday Night Football. You know, this is a big rivalry, big game, and uh, you're you're feeling for Joe, no doubt. But you got to win the game. Got to still go beat the Giants, and they did. Twenty three, twenty one. That was one of the years that they went ten and six and did not make the postseason. It's amazing. They won. You know, uh, one of the things I've been doing at home. And I told you about this. I've been going back and transcribing a lot of interviews I've done over the years. Yeah. And one of the ones I did with Theismann uh, was with Theismann. And, you know, he talked about uh, the play and uh, that he said it changed his life completely. But this is what Theismann told me in this interview. And he's right. Because I remember Joe the way he was pre-injury and post. And I've known him now a lot more post-injury. He said, I had become a very self-centered, egotistical person who really didn't give a damn about anybody but me. The only thing that mattered to me was being a football star, not playing football, not being part of a team, but being a football star. Uh, I was at the point in my life where you could say, even though I had all material things I wanted, I was probably as low as I could get looking back. So he thinks it changed his whole perspective on life. And he is not that guy now. I, he is, he's a friendly, warm, you know, uh, generous guy now. And uh, so uh, as bizarre as this is, it changed his whole personality. Wow. I mean, I, I, that's cool that you, you go back. You should share that with him. Oh, I, 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 if he has a copy of my book, Oral uh, Hail Victory, yeah. and Oral History of the Washington Redskins, he can read it. He probably doesn't. <laughs> By the way, just to, as another add-on to that season, that was a really uh, cool story you told. I'm not moving on from it quickly because I didn't think it was interesting. But I, I, I'm looking through the rest of that year, and they ended up winning five of their final six games because they went into that Monday night game, they were 5-5. Five and five. and remember, they had gone 
82 division winner uh, to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. 83-14-2 division winner to the Super Bowl, um, lost the Super Bowl. 84, they won the division in the final weekend of the year against St. Louis, against the Cardinals. So they had been a three-time division-winning team going into that 85 season, but uh, they were 5-5, five and five, and and the Giants were, you know, and the, the Giants and the Cowboys in particular were really good teams. And they, this is the greatness of Joe Gibbs. This is why he has to be on anybody's short list, you know, top five, top six all-time coaches. I mean, Jay Schrader, who had never played before, um, was not like, you know, a first-round pick. What was he, a third-round pick out of UCLA? I think a third-round pick out of UCLA. I think so, yeah. And he, like, in this day and age, if you lose Joe Theismann, your team is done. You know, there aren't backup quarterbacks. Jay Schrader comes in and Coach Joe coaches them up to five wins in their final six games to go ten and six. They miss the postseason. They miss the postseason with a ten and six um, mark, and they had lo- they lost to the 49ers. Was their only loss, and it was a blowout loss, thirty-five to eight. They lost to the 49ers in early December. They beat the Giants. They beat the Steelers on the road. They beat the Eagles on the road. They beat the Bengals. And they beat the Cardinals to finish up the season to be 10-6. and six. And unfortunately, you know, that, that year was a really good year in the NFC East. Um, the Cowboys were 10-6. and six, The Giants were 10-6. and six, Washington was 10-6. and six, But the Cowboys won the tiebreaker to win the division. And the Giants beat out Washington in the tiebreaker to win the wild card. So Washington was a 10-6 and six non-playoff team. Wow. Um, but, J- J- I mean, Jay Schrader Jay comes in off the bench and Coach Joe figures out a way to win five out of the final eight. And by the way, they're good on offense that year the rest of the way. They, they scored 30 against the Steelers. They scored 27 against Cincinnati, 27 against the Cardinals. Not against the Niners, though. But um, anyway, I was just thinking about that. All right, we done? I think we're done, boss. All right, uh, 31-24 time. He's got Cincinnati over Washington. Back tomorrow with Cooley to preview the NFL weekend and, of course, the Skins game against the Bengals. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.